Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Projected Opinions Podcast, the best movie podcast in under 20 minutes. My name is Matt Noble. And I'm Nathan Payne. And this week, we are talking about Annihilation. It's something they termed the Shimmer. We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. So, one minute, what did you think? All right, so I've read the book, uh, Annihilation. I did not love the book. It was a fast read. I enjoyed reading it while I was I was in it. Uh, it was a page turner, and yet I just kept feeling like, I don't know where he's going with this. I don't know where he's going with this. Uh, I really hope he doesn't go where I think he might go with it, and he went there. And then I, it just kind of left me a little empty. This movie uh, left me far more intrigued and thoughtful and... Uh, I enjoyed the ride on this far more than I did the book. Fair enough. You? Um, So I have not read the book. So I'm going to come at this movie with a completely detached viewpoint. Um, And I thought it was weird. Now, I mean that in a good way. Movies these days aren't weird anymore. And I think that it's nice that we have semi-original ideas. And we'll talk about why this counts as an original idea, not an adaptation later, I guess. Um... But I was intrigued the entire time, and that's something that doesn't happen to me often in movies anymore uh, because they, they're, they're kind of samey. Like, you can start to pick apart plot details, and I, I didn't know where this one was going to go. All the things that I kind of predicted in my mind, as you do, didn't come true. So I was pretty happy about that. Um, so f- for that two hours, I, I didn't know what was going to happen, which is something that I always hope for. Yeah, um, so... We should just jump right in. By the way, spoilers. There's going to be a ton of spoilers in this. If you have not read the book uh, or not seen the movie, either way, because the book and the movie are so different, uh, we're going to spoil the movie, and that may not spoil the book for you in actuality. So uh, just moving forward, be aware of that. So let's get jump in. What did you love about this movie, Nathan? Especially about, let's start with like direction and cinematography. I, I don't, okay. It's going to be hard to kind of line up my thoughts because I'm still kind of formulating opinions on this thing. And I'll be formulating opinions for like the next six months probably. Sure. How, how about I'll start off and you can yeah, jump go in for it. and push back on things that you disagree with or, or agree with whatever you want. Uh, so for me, uh, I love uh, Ex Machina, which is... Agreed. Um, Garland's, for Alex Garland is the director of this film. He's also the person who adapted the screenplay uh, from the book. Uh, he did so apparently after reading the book once and then didn't read it again uh, while adapting and was able to what what did you say he he his quote is he wanted to adapt it as if he was recalling the movie from a dream or the book from a dream which so, I actually think he did really well with regards to the direction it felt almost dream sequency at many many times oh which, yeah I would agree excellent job so if you know anything about Alex Garland and his first foray into the film with uh, Ex Machina as a writer and director. Uh, Excellent uh, piece of sci-fi. Ex Machina is um, incredible and... It's simple and thought-provoking. And and super dark. Uh, Oh, And I thought he he took the best parts of that and and brought it over to Annihilation. So um, the imagery uh, from his direction is is really good. I liked all of the little uh, metaphors and... um, Man, he did some awesome things with setting up ideas, such as the idea of prisms, uh, showing glasses of water, 
and how they're refracting and doing weird prism stuff to images behind the glass of water, stretching and bending and flipping. Uh, I thought that was really, really nice. He, he's leading you to where he's going to go with the whole story mm -hmm. with just little um, vignettes of ideas. And I, I thought that was really nice. The other thing that I really liked was how he dealt with um, horror in a, in a way that was not jump scary but kind of dreadful yeah uh, so like knowing that there's this weird place where things are grotesque stretched beyond normalcy and like providing imagery building up to each character's resolution if you will uh we'll get to that more in the story i think but i really really liked the cinematography i thought it was um fairly iconic i think you can take a screenshot from most places in this movie and identify it in 10 years as that's annihilation i would agree um you're talking about pushback here we go um <laughs> i like the cinematography in the sense that it matches where he wanted to go with this story mm -hmm. and i think that you can tell that he and um, his cinematographer, I think it's Rob Hardy, is the cinematographer. Um, they worked together on Ex Machina, and he brought him back for Annihilation. I think you can tell that their visual style um, has changed a little bit. Um, I really appreciated Ex Machina for what it did. Um, and I think this kind of was a natural evolution of their style. It's more There's more different kinds of looks to this film than they did in the past. It's a far more broad film as far as locations and visual ideas. Mm -hmm. um, the budget is about 10 times what right, he was for right. Ex Machina. I mean, so yeah, it is bigger in every way. His potential was recognized by some people with money, um, and they've clearly allowed him to have more. Actually, I want to take a brief aside to talk about uh, his relationship with Paramount. Uh, so if if you have done a lot of reading on Annihilation, you'll probably have heard that Annihilation um, was kind of a pet project of the previous head of Paramount mm -hmm. Studios. Uh, when he left uh, a couple years ago, or last year, I guess, um, and he was replaced, and I, I believe that the, the new CEO and head of uh, Paramount Studios kind of has toned back some of the enthusiasm for smaller, weird picks like mm -hmm. this. Um, you'll notice that uh, Paramount also produced Paradox, uh, Cloverfield Paradox, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. And they sold the rights to uh, Netflix when they kind of realized they had a dud and they were not willing to go the distance and kind of fix it up uh, before sending it to theaters. Likewise, um, when the execs saw this film, they were afraid that it was too inaccessible for mainstream audiences. I believe and, one of the main things was that they thought it was a bit confusing, the ending. Yes. Uh, so so much so that they ended up selling all the international distribution rights to Netflix once again. So, Paramount is uh, backing off yes, majorly on, on, on distribution. Not only that, but just for smaller, like, indie-like films. Mm -hmm. uh, so right now, I'm not sure that we're going to see Alex Garland uh, go with Paramount again. So just to kind of, like, talk a little bit more about how you had said that yeah someone recognizes potential that person doesn't exist at paramount anymore <laughs> right so i don't know if we're going to see any more of alex garland's uh science fiction from picks. paramount 
Probably not. But I do think that there are people that are watching him very closely, and clearly Netflix is okay with the idea of Alex Garland, and I would not be surprised if he comes around at Netflix again, um, because to have the director and Oscar winner for Ex Machina and Annihilation come around and, and do something for Netflix I don't think would be out of the question at all. Um, and he started to formulate very like a distinct style and vision for how he sees things, and I think that that's... Um, something that a lot of new directors are having problems with these days with the studio system the way that it is um, but yeah very quickly about the cinematography it's not it's not what I would have done which I guess is you know a good thing because that means that everybody has their own style um, but I thought it looked very um, it looked like a lot of the videos you find on Vimeo these days that are kind of art pieces about nature and uh, things like that. So I think it fits in the time very well, and uh, the audience will be accustomed to what they're seeing. Um, but it it didn't look big budget, if you will. It okay. kind of looked like an indie film, mm -hmm. um, which might have been what they're going for, um, but it's not the style that I truly gravitate towards. So that's personal opinion from me. Um, it served the story fairly well, so no arguments there. And it didn't take me out of the story, but I just... It's not a style that I particularly enjoy. Um, but what I will say is, as far as... Um, jumping back to Paramount for a second. Sure. They actually ordered a completely reshot ending of the film. And one of the producers for the movie, I forget his name off the top of my head, he actually stood up for Alex and his vision... Um, and he fought with Paramount, and he Scott got... Scott Rudin, by the way, is yeah. the name of that producer. He fought Paramount for the final edit, and he got it. Um, and they released Alex's original ending. Um, and as I was watching it, I had heard this story, and I was wondering, how how is this going to be confusing at the end? And honestly, I didn't think it was that confusing at all, What the way that it followed through. Sure, there are questions that are unanswered, and you're kind of wondering why about some things, but I think... Any good movie will leave you with a couple of questions, especially if at some point there's potential for a sequel. You can't tie off everything. Um, and so I, I'm kind of wondering where Paramount came from on, on that regard because I thought it did what it was meant to do. I think that studios, as time will pass, studios will be more and more concerned with not having a blockbuster hit. And right. I, I think that they are so strapped for cash right now um, that they are going to only try to do the bigger and this is not a new idea uh, mm -hmm. spielberg and george lucas talked about this like two decades ago that the end of um production companies as we know it is about to happen and we're living in that internet streaming age now mm -hmm. where production companies are so risk adverse that they won't take a chance on something like this because they're not sure that they're going to be able to double their money back um and it's and it's true like annihilation is not going to make 200 million dollars it just won't um, and partially because of like how much of a thinking movie it is. That being said, I think for me, it makes me appreciate even more what someone like Christopher Nolan is able to do mm -hmm. uh, with huge blockbusters that are also thinking pieces. Right. And that's quick aside. That's why I loved things like Dunkirk when that happened, because if you're going to analyze it correctly, it's basically just a, a giant budget um, experimental movie. Mm -hmm. 
And the fact that so many people got to see something like that in a theater as opposed to having to find it at an obscure festival um, is amazing to me. But it's sad that you have to have a person that's done the blockbuster thing for so many years to be able to let that happen um, is kind of sad. And it's it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because I feel like if Paramount had truly marketed this a bit better as far as like a thinking sci-fi piece, I think they might have had something that could at least make it to the black. Um, it, it wouldn't cross any Avengers movie by far, but it wouldn't lose the money if they had stuck with it properly. Um, and I think that they're trying to do the the huge blockbuster things so much that they're losing sight of original ideas. Um, and you're going to see, I think a lot of people, uh, doing smaller budget, more indie style films so that they can have the ability to do a story that they want to do. Um, and I think Netflix and Amazon are going to start snatching up the directors that they see cut loose from these larger studios and start to produce those same movies for the internet. Yeah, I'm I'm really actually intrigued if we won't see more of Alex Garland with uh, streaming services, uh, j- just because already Netflix, like you said, has proven themselves willing to invest in him and his e- unique thinking pieces that may not be blockbuster hits. But for Netflix, uh, there's a ton of weird stuff on there, and they're aware that their audience is bigger than just the uh, average moviegoer who wants uh, an Avengers 27 or something like that. That being said, so what I'm really intrigued about is if if you may or may not remember, about a half a dozen years ago, um, Alex Garland did a script uh, for the Halo movie that ended up never happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did it for, you know, some, someone someone said it was like, oh my gosh, he did it for a half million dollars or something like that. Uh, that's crazy. It's never been heard of. Uh, he, uh, I would really like to see a Halo movie from Alex Garland, but that's an aside. Like, I'm I'm super intrigued if that doesn't happen. Now. Yeah, I I I don't think that's out of the question because somebody like Netflix loves taking simple ideas and adding a a thought provoking premise. Um, a lot of their movies seem simple on the outside as far as plot points, but they raise interesting questions about culture and things like mm-hmm. that. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see a more of a thought provoking um, take on what might seem like a simple premise um, and a slightly larger budget than, than you might get out of a studio for something like that. Let's talk a uh, story real quick. Yeah. If you don't mind. Um, I really liked uh, parts of the story. Um, I, uh, after I left the theater, I was still really thinking about what was going on. And I think the conclusion I came to was that the, uh, the prism effect of the shimmer as it is, uh, termed in the film is uh, basically augmenting how we interact with ourselves. Uh, so it will accentuate to the umpteenth degree who we are internally, what our greatest desires are internally. Um, and so for the different characters, that means different things. Uh, the one character who has been a cutter for many years uh, just wants to feel alive. And by the end of her storyline, she is literally turning into a living tree. A, uh, a tree is sprouting from all of her cuts, uh, and she becomes a botanical living creature thing. Uh, so she, in the most real sense, becomes alive. Um, obviously, different characters end in different ways. Uh, Natalie Portman's character, who has 
been uh, an adulterous relationship. Her husband knows about it. Uh, She is wrestling with herself the entire time and and says that she owes her husband something. Um, And at the end of the movie, she's literally wrestling with a version Mm -hmm. of herself. And I found that like really intriguing. The more I thought about the more I thought, yeah, that is, that was really good. Um, Yeah. All that symbolism paid off. I thought. Yeah. I think, I think Alex focuses on that as more of a priority than a lot of other filmmakers. um, Because You'd see somebody like J.J. Abrams, for instance, who's a big fan of the mystery box, and I think that this this film mm-hmm. kind of adheres to that kind of style of of plot development as far as just laying on these ideas with no explanation. Um, I think he would have approached it more as a plot and then revelation of the mystery, mm-hmm. whereas I think Alex focused on more of the character change, mm-hmm. which I think is a cool way to do it and something that not a lot of people focus on. Because if you actually look at it, you're right. Every single character has their moment where their life becomes a giant reflection of the main trait that they're given. Um, and I really appreciate how each character has a moment even if you don't get to spend a lot of time with them and they're not given a huge amount of character development and sometimes a lot of those character development points that you start with at the beginning are kind of given to you in kind of one of those weird exposition comments mm-hmm. um, yeah which I was did. one of the thing that bothered me when they're in the canoe and she literally just asked the questions about all the people and like yeah. you you just get the the three sentence bit on every character and i was or, like well that's a clunky way to do that <laughs> or even worse <laughs> Or even worse, when they uh, they meet each other at the, uh, the the weird home base thing, yeah. and they sit down at the picnic table, mm-hmm. and they literally introduce themselves as like their character traits, and I was like, okay, well, <laughs> mm. yes, um, but I think while that might have been clunky, I think the res- resolution mm-hmm. is quite unique um, because each character does in fact get what they want, mm-hmm. but in the weirdest way mm-hmm. possible, um, and you can't predict that. It's it's so out there that you're you're kind of sitting there going, huh? Well, they weren't wrong. Yep. But I didn't see it coming, and yeah. that's something that I can appreciate because these days, when you analyze a lot of movies and yeah. you're kind of watching for these things, it's very easy to pick out future plot points. And you know, I really like the the horror aspect of having to face yourself, like mm-hmm. becoming what you want the most, can be uh, terrifying. And, um, and in fact, the thing that you really oughtn't do. <laughs> so I thought that was woven into the storyline throughout um, really well and subtly. It was nice. Yeah. Things that you didn't like? Things that I didn't like. Like I said, the uh, exposition is handled a bit mm-hmm. in your face. Um, and I think that there might have been ways that he could have shown some of these things a bit differently than literally having two conversations, one at the table and one in the canoe where you literally learn through dialogue, everything that you need to know about all these characters. Um, that, w- that would probably be my most out there criticism is for somebody that's done visual storytelling very well. And in fact, the, the motifs that you see here about prisms and distortions of character and things like that for the same person that, could come up with something that's that brilliant even as early on as the cup of water on the table when mm-hmm. uh, the husband comes back. I forget his name. Uh, Kane mm-hmm. comes back for something that's that brilliant. 
to at the same time not try and find a different way to explain at least some of the characters. I mean, yeah, it's difficult to to visually explain every single person. But when you have to do that for every character, it's kind of kind of a bit of a letdown when you're like expecting this huge thought piece that's visually driven. Yeah. And you you literally get a conversation that tells you everything. Sure. In, I was, in the defense of Garland, one, it would make it even more inaccessible uh, to a lot of people. Two, he was already up against a two-hour runtime, so right. an extra half hour, 40 minutes of, of displaying that might have been difficult. So, Yeah, but I feel like at the same time that the audiences are kind of tired of getting force-fed things, and thinking is something that you know, even going back to something like uh, Christopher Nolan's Inception or something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. which is a original product. It's not really based off of anything. And the entire premise makes you think. You have to watch it at least twice to, to really start yeah. thinking about it. And the ending is Audiences also like loved un- it. unknown, yeah. And I think that some studios are underestimating their audiences, to be perfectly honest with you. Sure. Arrival is a great example mm-hmm. of how good science fiction can do well, despite it being confusing and archaic. Uh, just like Inception and several other pieces that have been released recently, I think. I hope the the advent of streaming services can bring back uh, confidence in unique stories. And Netflix and Amazon constantly talk about, like, we want the best, most original stories to tell. And uh, maybe Garland will end up being picked up by Netflix for a series or something. Maybe. And uh, I'm hoping that we get some sequels for this because there are some questions at the end. Um, And as far as you've told me, the story in the book is very different. Yeah. And I'm kind of excited to see what Alex might think of as the ending point for this different uh, version of the story. Um. I don't know if I'll read the books, to be perfectly honest, because I'd almost kind of like to see Alex's version of it without a bias Hmm. and maybe read the books after everything is said and done. For somebody who's had such a good track record, that was, I was kind of disappointed with that. Um, But on the whole, I'd say that I was okay with the story. I don't know if it's going to set up things in the future. I don't know if the story can be more brilliant than it is, if it can get better. If there was things that he hinted at that we don't even know what they're connected to yet. Yeah. I don't know that he'll do a sequel. We'll see. He doesn't seem like a sequel kind of guy, but... He doesn't. Maybe. This is only try number two, though. So, you never know. True. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Projected Opinions podcast. A little over 20 minutes this week, uh, but we both uh, enjoyed the ride of Annihilation. Uh, Maybe myself a little bit more than Nathan, but uh, tune back back in next week and uh, we'll talk about something else. Alrighty guys, thanks for listening.